This is literally everything, 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 everything. If you're like me, you have a pile of books older than your grandma's mom and taller than the Empire State Building just begging to be read. To top it off, you probably add several books to said pile every week, yet somehow find yourself in a reading slump with nothing to read. Uh Uh-huh, I see you. In an attempt to tackle my never-ending pile of books, I decided to start a podcast with hopes of making some sort of dent in said pile, and maybe help inspire your next read. I'm Odell. Welcome to Just Read It Already. Howdy, friends. We made it to September. I am so happy. Well, I will be at this point in time. Still mid-August when I'm recording this, so I've got a couple of weeks left. I have high hopes. Things are cooler. We've got some rain here in the Pacific Northwest. That's the big thing I'm hoping for. Anyway, enough about that. Today, I'll share my thoughts on Nikki Ehrlich's The Measure, Tim Murphy's Speech Team, Frida McFadden's One by One, and House of Earth and Blood by Sarah J. Mass. But you know the drill. Before I jump into the reviews, let's take a look at some of the books that are on my release list for this week. And as we all know, this list is subject to change. But first on my list is Things We Left Behind by Lucy Score. This is the third book in the Knock 'em Out series of books. I've heard about these, never read any of them though. Then we have Amazing Grace Adams by Fran Littlewood. This is the funny, touching, unforgettable story of an invisible every woman pushed to the brink who finally pushes back. Then we have Long Game by Elena Armas. A disgraced soccer exec reluctantly enlists the help of a retired soccer star in coaching a children's team in this small-town love story in the vein of Ted Lasso, and it happened one summer. I do love me some Ted Lasso. Might have to check that out. Then we have River We Remember by William Kent Kruger. In 1958, a small Minnesota town is rocked by the murder of its most powerful citizen, pouring fresh fuel on old grievances in this dazzling standalone novel. Then we have One Blood by Deneen Milner. Three women are tied together by blood, love, and family secrets. Next is Main Character Energy by Jamie Verron. In this fun and heartwarming debut, Poppy must decide if she can live up to her aunt's and her own desire to be the main character in her own life. Next is The September House by Carissa Orlando. A woman is determined to stay in her dream home even after it becomes a haunted nightmare in this compulsively readable, twisty, and layered debut novel. That's on my list. Then we have The Fraud by Zadie Smith, a kaleidoscopic work of historical fiction set against the legal trial that divided Victorian England about who deserves to tell their story and who deserves to be believed. Next is Into the Bright Open, a secret garden remix by Cherry Dimaline, or Dimaline, D-I-M-A-L-I-N-E, an enchanting story of family, healing, and girls reclaiming control of their own lives. Then we have The Spirit Bears Its Teeth by Andrew Joseph White, an explosive gothic horror set in an alternate Victorian England where mediums control the dead. That sounds fun. Then we have Everyone's Thinking It by Alima Omotoni. At an elite boarding school in the English countryside, Nigerian cousins Ianu and Katan are thrown into the middle of a school-wide conspiracy when everyone's juicy secrets are released, burn book style, 
the week before the annual Valentine's Day Ball. Then we have Suddenly a Murder by Lauren Munoz. Seven friends throw a 1920s-themed party where it's all pretend until one of them is murdered. One of us is lying meets knives out in this killer locked room mystery. Next is There's No Way I'd Die First by Lisa Springer. A spine-tingling contemporary horror that follows a scary movie buff as she hosts an elaborate Halloween bash on her family's estate, but soon finds the festivities upended when she and her guests are forced to test their survival skills in a deadly party game. Might have to check that one out. Then we have Midnight at the Houdini by Delilah S. Dawson. A girl discovers a surreal hotel where no one ever leaves. When the clock strikes midnight, she'll be trapped there forever unless she's able to break free from magic that in turn breaks all her rules. And last on my list is The Girl That Time Forgot by Victoria Lee, which is described as a sapphic The Umbrella Academy meets a thousand pieces of you. This week, I added an arc of Everyone Who Can Forgive Me Is Dead by Jenny Hollander. I received this courtesy of the publisher in exchange for an honest review, and that book publishes in February, so look for that review a few weeks before then. Okay, it's time for the main event, and we'll start with The Measure by Nikki Ehrlich. This book was first published by William Morrow on June 28, 2022, and was a nominee for Goodreads Choice Awards in the Best Science Fiction and Best Debut Novel of 2022 categories that same year. It was also a Read with Jenna book club pick. The synopsis reads, Eight ordinary people, one extraordinary choice. It seems like any other day. You wake up, pour a cup of coffee, and head out. But today, when you open your front door, waiting for you is a small wooden box. This box holds your fate inside, the answer to the exact number of years you will live. From suburban doorsteps to desert tents, every person on every continent receives the same box, In an instant, the world is thrust into a collective frenzy. Where did these boxes come from? What do they mean? Is there truth to what they promise? As society comes together and pulls apart, everyone faces the same shocking choice. Do they wish to know how long they'll live? And if so, what will they do with that knowledge? The measure charts the dawn of this new world through an unforgettable cast of characters whose decisions and fates interweave with one another. Best friends whose dreams are forever entwined, Pen pals finding refuge in the unknown, a couple who thought they didn't have to rush, a doctor who cannot save himself, and a politician whose box becomes the powder keg that ultimately changes everything. This novel presents an interesting and unique concept that hooked me from the very first page. What would you do if you received a small wooden box that held the key to the exact number of years you will live? That's the question that every character in The Measure is faced with. The entire world is thrown into chaos from ordinary people in suburban neighborhoods to those living in more remote areas. Suddenly, everyone is faced with a choice of whether or not they want to know how long they have left to live and what they will do with that knowledge. The author does a great job of telling the story from multiple points of view. Sometimes I found when you have too many points of view, the story gets muddled, but this was perfect. She gives us a glimpse into the lives of eight ordinary individuals whose paths cross unexpectedly. Each chapter is dedicated to a different character, and their decisions and fates intertwine in a captivating way. The variety of perspectives allows for a very rich exploration of human nature and the different ways people react when faced with something as profound as the measure of their own mortality. One of the things I really appreciated about this book is how thought-provoking it was. 
It made me question my own views on life and death and what I would do if I were faced with the same choice. The measure really dives into the ethical and philosophical implications of this concept and left me with a lot to think about after I finished reading. Now, while I enjoyed it well enough, there were a few aspects of the book that didn't fully resonate with me, most notably the lack of a strong emotional connection with the characters. We had eight of them, and we got to know them pretty well. I just never felt fully invested in them. I found their stories intriguing. I just never felt super close to any of them. It made it a bit challenging for me to become as emotionally invested in their lives as I would have liked. But despite this, the concept and the overall storytelling were compelling enough to keep me engaged until the end of the book. The Measure is a thought-provoking novel that explores the profound implications of knowing how long you will live. With its interesting concept and multiple perspectives, this book will challenge you to consider your own views on life and death. While I wished for a deeper emotional connection to the characters, overall it was a captivating read that will leave a lasting impression. If you're looking for a thought-provoking book that will keep you on the edge of your seat, then give The Measure a try. I gave it 3.5 stars on my blog and Storygraph, and 3 stars on Goodreads. Next, we'll take a look at the unexpected gem of a book, Speech Team, by Tim Murphy. I received an advanced reader's copy of this book on NetGalley, courtesy of the publisher, in exchange for an honest review. This book was first published on August 1st, 2023 by Viking. The synopsis reads, Late one morning, parked in a desk chair at his humdrum job, Tip Murray finds himself reading the suicide note of his long-lost high school friend, Pete Stroman. Mentioned in the note as a root cause of Pete's despair? A disparaging comment made to him about his developmental disability by none other than their high school speech team coach, Gary Gold. As more thorny memories surface from their 80s adolescence, Tip and his best friend, fellow speech team alum Nat Farb Miola, decide to reconnect with their other teammates, and they discover an unsettling thread. All were quietly wounded by Mr. Gold's deeply cutting remarks. The silver lining? Gary Gold is still alive, and a quick Google search tells the quartet that he has retired to Florida. There's only one thing left to do. Confront him. By turns incisive and sweet, Alive with a sting of wounds past and the hopeful possibility of the present, Speech Team explores what it means to take account of the pain that can suffuse a life and what it means, years on, to move forward. I hadn't heard a whole lot about this book. I saw someone on Instagram post about it, looked into it, and saw that it dealt with Gen Xers and flashbacks to high school in the 80s, so I had to check it out. High school wasn't my most favorite time in life, but I loved growing up in the 80s, and I was ready for a trip down memory lane. Speech Team is told from the point of view of Thomas Tip Murray, a 40-something-year-old man who has struggled with alcohol and cocaine addiction, but has finally settled into a somewhat ordinary life with his oncology nurse partner, Marcus. One day, Tip learns that Pete Stroman, a high school acquaintance, committed suicide, and in the public note he left on Facebook, Pete mentions a negative comment that his speech team coach said to him that stuck with him throughout his life. While speaking with his high school friend Nat about Pete's suicide, Tip confesses that Gary Gold, their speech team coach, had also said something very upsetting to him that he carried with him into adulthood. Nat and Tip decide to reach out to a couple of other friends from high school who were also on the speech team. And it's not long before Jennifer, one of the few black girls in their high school, and Anthony, another gay kid from Mendham High, confess that they too had harmful and hurtful things said to them by Gary Gold. These things negatively impacted their lives. 
So it's only a short time before the four former classmates decide that they're going to track down Gary, and then they book a trip to Florida to confront him. The book invites us to relive the vibrant and sometimes painful moments of adolescence in the 80s. As we journey alongside the characters, we witness how profoundly a disparaging comment impacted each team member's life. The wounds caused by Mr. Gold's hurtful remarks serve as a catalyst for self-discovery, personal growth, and ultimately, an opportunity to heal. One of the most notable strengths of Speech Team is its exploration of the power of forgiveness. As the characters set out to confront Mr. Gold in Florida, they realize that while their grievances are valid, harboring resentment only perpetuates their own suffering. Through heartfelt conversations, honest introspection, and a cathartic confrontation, Murphy illustrates the transformative power of letting go, reminding us all of the importance of forgiveness in our own lives. I loved all of the 80s references in the book, and I also really enjoyed the diversity of the characters. Each speech team member brought their unique personality and struggles to the story, creating a rich tapestry of experiences. From the shy and introverted to the bold and the outspoken, Murphy has crafted a group of characters that feel like real people that we might encounter in our own lives. I especially connected with Tip. While I was never a drug addict or an alcoholic, I did experience some of the bullying that he experienced in high school. There's also a point in the book where he mentions that Gold, the speech team coach, saw him when Gold told Tip to stop being so obviously gay and how that hurt him because what he had hoped for was for someone to see him for who he truly was and then to love him for it rather than condone him. I appreciated how each character got some sort of closure, even if it wasn't in the way that they had hoped. I also appreciated that it ended realistically rather than everything being tied up in a pretty little bow. If you're looking for a well-written, quick read with a punch, I highly recommend this one. I gave it four stars on my blog, Storygraph, and Goodreads. It's break time. Next, I'll share my thoughts on Frieda McFadden's One by One. This book was initially independently published on July 25th, 2020, and according to Goodreads, will be republished by Poison Pen Press in 2024. The synopsis reads, A night spent sleeping on dirt and leaves is not how Clara Matchett expected to spend her vacation. She thought this would be a break from the stresses of work and raising her young children, a chance to repair her damaged marriage, a week of hiking and hot tubs with two other couple friends. Sounded like heaven. Then Claire's minivan breaks down on a lonely dirt road. With no cell reception, the group has no choice but to hike the rest of the way to their hotel. But it turns out the woods aren't as easy to navigate as they thought. Hours later, they're lost, hopelessly lost. As they navigate deeper into the woods, the members of their party are struck down mysteriously one by one. Has a wild animal been hunting them, or is the hunter one of them? But as more time passes, one thing becomes clear. Only one of them will return home alive. Oh, Frida. In all honesty, before this book, I'd only read McFadden's The Housemaid, and while it wasn't perfect, it was a really fun ride. I needed something quick and a little crazy to help cleanse the palate a bit, so I randomly selected one by one, hoping for a crazy ride similar to that of The Housemaid. I know, 
I probably should have read The Housemaid Returns, but the thought of a group of friends getting lost and then hunted in the woods spoke to me at the moment. Sadly, the execution did not live up to my expectations. The synopsis promised a thrilling and suspenseful tale of a group of friends experiencing a horrifying ordeal in the woods. However, the novel fell short of expectations in several key areas, and left me disappointed and unsatisfied. The book is mainly told from Claire Matchett's point of view, and then periodically we get anonymous chapters from someone that we assume is either the killer or someone behind the issues the group of friends is experiencing. Claire is unhappily married and has two kids. She and her husband Noah barely speak and can hardly stand to be around one another. The two of them have set out to spend a week at a resort in the Colorado mountains and joining them are her best friend from college, Lindsay, and Lindsay's new beau, Warner, as well as Noah's best friend from college, Jack, and Jack's wife, Michelle. Relationships are strained all the way around. Lindsay and Claire don't like Michelle, Marital trouble seems to be brewing between Jack and Michelle as well, and Warner is kind of a dick. When the van breaks down in the middle of the woods and our six suburbanites are forced to hike through the woods to find the resort, they get lost. And then they begin to drop like flies. In theory, this sounds great and right up my alley, but it never fully hit the mark, as I said. One of the most glaring issues with the book for me was the lack of atmosphere and sense of dread. Despite the characters being in a dire and life-threatening situation, there was an absence of tension that made it difficult for me to feel the terror that they allegedly felt. It also felt very repetitive. I knew I should have been afraid, but I wasn't. I never had a clear image of the eerie and foreboding atmosphere that should have permeated the narrative. Furthermore, the characters in the novel failed to elicit any sort of sympathy from me. They were all super basic, pretty much every one of them was a cliché with very little development. As a result, when these characters began to be killed off, it was super hard to feel any true sense of loss or fear. The suspenseful moments were few and far between, and when they did occur, they were underwhelming and lacked in intensity. There was absolutely no sense of urgency or desperation here. It just left me feeling disconnected from this supposed danger faced by all of the characters. Additionally, the pacing of the plot was very uneven. There were long stretches of mundane hiking and exploration that really failed, again, to build tension or advance the narrative. The characters eventually wonder if they've been walking in circles, and I can see why they felt that, because I too kept thinking, haven't we already been through this? Now McFadden is known for her crazy twists, so I kept reading, hoping for a big payoff. Unfortunately, it wasn't as jaw-dropping as I'd hoped, and maybe it was just because I was so tired by the end of the book, I didn't care what happened. The killer's identity was revealed in a way that lacked any real impact. In fact, I'd predicted this pretty early on. By the time I finally got to the end, the final twist was more of a, huh, okay, than a true holy shit moment. While the concept had potential, the execution left much to be desired. Sadly, I ended up giving this one only two stars on Goodreads, Storygraph, and my blog. I will close out with my thoughts on House of Earth and Blood by Sarah J. Mass, the first book in the Crescent City series. This book was first published on March 3rd, 2020 by Bloomsbury and was the Goodreads Choice Award winner for Best Fantasy in 2020. The synopsis reads, 
Bryce Quinlan had the perfect life, working hard all day and partying all night, until a demon murdered her closest friends, leaving her bereft, wounded, and alone. When the accused is behind bars but the crimes start up again, Bryce finds herself at the heart of the investigation. She'll do whatever it takes to avenge their deaths. Hunt Athelar is a notorious fallen angel, now enslaved to the archangels he once attempted to overthrow. His brutal skills and incredible strength have been set to one purpose, to assassinate his boss's enemies, no questions asked. But with a demon wreaking havoc in the city, he's offered an irresistible deal. Help Bryce find the murderer, and his freedom will be within reach. As Bryce and Hunt dig deep into Crescent City's underbelly, they discover a dark power that threatens everything and everyone they hold dear, and they find in each other a blazing passion, one that could set them both free if they'd only let it. With unforgettable characters, sizzling romance, and page-turning suspense, this richly inventive new fantasy series by number one New York Times bestselling author Sarah J. Mass delves into the heartache of loss, the price of freedom, and the power of love. It's been a while since I've read a book like this. I think the last series I read that was kind of like this was the Mortal Instruments series by Cassandra Clare several years ago. The story takes place in a world that seamlessly blends the fantastical elements of magic, fae, vampires, werewolves, and angels with a modern urban setting. This is a dense one, clocking in at almost 800 pages, but it's full of action and just the right amount of romance. The story follows half-human, half-fae Bryce Quinlan, a young woman who lived on her own, worked for a witch as a curator of magical things by day, and then partied hard at night with her closest friends. Her world is shattered when a demon brutally murders her closest friends, leaving her heartbroken and alone. Someone is accused and imprisoned, but when the murders begin again, Bryce is certain that they got the wrong guy and that there's something bigger going on. Soon she finds herself at the center of the investigation, determined to avenge her friends. Enter Hunt Athelar, a notorious fallen angel who is now enslaved to the archangels that he once tried to overthrow. Hunt possesses brutal skills and incredible strength, all of which he uses to eliminate his boss's enemies when needed. But when a demon starts wreaking havoc on the city, Hunt is presented with this offer to help Bryce find the murderer and earn his freedom. As Bryce and Hunt delve deeper into the dark underbelly of Crescent City, they uncover a sinister power that poses a threat to everything and everyone they hold dear. And along the way, a romance blossoms and a fiery, intense relationships blooms between the two of them. The author paints a vivid and intricately detailed world in this book, and I really liked the unique blend of modern technology and mystical elements. Loved it. Mass effortlessly transports us into this captivating world, immersing us in the sights, sounds, and smells of the city's bustling streets, as well as the shadowy secrets. The plot is filled with twists and turns, and the pacing is perfect. The characters in this novel are unforgettable, each with distinct personalities and complex histories. Bryce is a strong and resilient protagonist, grappling with immense grief and pain, and a healthy dose of self-loathing. Her emotional journey throughout the book is palpable, and readers will find themselves deeply invested in her story. Hunt Athelar, the fallen angel-turned-assassin, is a brooding and intriguing character. His interactions with Bryce are charged with chemistry and intensity, making their romance one that even I rooted for. I don't read a lot of fantasy, it's a bit intimidating to me, especially when the book is as big as this one is. 
I found it easy to settle into, though, and I didn't have any trouble keeping up with who was who and which faction was responsible for what. I found the story both thrilling and captivating, and it left me eager to start the next book in the series. I just need to find the time for another big-ass book. If you're a fan of epic urban fantasy tales and you've not yet read this one, I highly recommend checking it out. I gave it four and a quarter stars on my blog and story graph, and four stars on Goodreads. Another short and sweet one today. I hope you enjoyed your nice long weekend, if you're listening to this over Labor Day weekend. And to all the teachers out there who are headed back to school, thank you for your service. I hope you have a great school year. If you would like to find links to any of the books that I mentioned today, including those I mentioned in the new release portion, you can check the website at justreaditalready.com. I have links to everything there. Please join me next week when I share my thoughts on Casey McQuiston's Red, White, and Royal Blue, Sonali Dev's Lies and Other Love Languages, Alicia Elliott's And Then She Fell, and Ann Patchett's Tom Lake. Have an awesome week.